Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast and the Upland Nation in general. I hope you're having a great season. I'm Scott Linden and I'm going to share some of my great season as well, but mainly I am getting so many optimistic reports out there. I thought we'd talk a little bit about that later on the podcast. We've got a great show in store for you. We got so much response to last week's uh, discussion of the little uh, tricks to puppy gear that I thought I'd uh, put my whole list together for you. If you've got a pup, you're thinking about a pup, you got a friend with a puppy, I'm going to give you the uh, the ultimate shopping list, if you want to call it that. And so uh, get out your pencils and papers or uh, start making notes on your iPhone uh, about puppies' first year gear. We'll also do an homage to our dogs. Yeah, we're going to do a tribute. I've asked you all to honor your dogs on social media, and I'm going to share your, well, your heartfelt thoughts on that. So uh, stick around. Your name might come up in the discussion. And finally, how far do you walk on a hunt? Uh, I've been doing a few short ones, and it got me to thinking about some of the really long ones I've done and asked you about that as well. So, uh Let's see where you stack up when you start your hunt and end your hunt. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, LandTrust.com, and Hi-Viz Shooting Systems. Well, they've been short walks for me, but they've been in new places, and boy, am I learning. You know, you always learn something when you go somewhere new, and I am making an effort that the last three or four years, that's kind of been my overarching goal. See new places, hunt new species, hunt with new people, and boy, it's been working out. Just had a short one-day hunt in a spot that uh, kind of was the the backup spot because the spot we were headed well don't get me started on administrations and public agencies and how they regulate and manage their places anyway we went to this nice small area along a big river didn't shoot much didn't walk very far i think we walked a total of about six or seven miles the whole day dogs got a great workout my dog flick along with uh lucy rob's poodle pointer who i'd i probably had met when she was a puppy but it had been a long time anyway they got along great <laughs> you know you look in the back seat at the end of the day and they're both sleeping head to head or butt to butt don't you love it and um hunted this giant amphitheater Along the river, it, it, it was a spot that in the old days, probably all this uh, water had washed down and flattened it out a little bit. I think the geologists would call it an alluvial plain. Not much in there, but a great place to hunt because you could watch your dogs no matter how high up the walls they went. The brush was low enough, lots of grass and some invasive species that you, you want to get on somehow. Anyway... We had heard some shooting way in the distance before, and it was up in that chucker country, so we thought, yeah, let's let's see how far up we can go. Well, not very far up. We were stopped catching our breath. 
when out of a, the one juniper tree in the entire draw comes one chucker. Bam, bam. Bob, Rob shoots twice. Uh, nothing. I give it a go-to-hell shot because I'm so far away and I'm loaded for quail. Son of a gun, if right before that bird doesn't get to the ridgeline and go over into the next draw, it spins up and falls rag dead. Woohoo! I'm giving Rob all the credit on that one because uh, I was a little bit out of range and only shooting because, well, it was fashionable. Flick did a stellar job on the retrieve, uh, backed by Lucy. All is good in the world. Found some cool old historic stuff while we were there, too. How about you? Well, I asked you about how you're doing when you walk for birds. Just curious. Longest we've done, at least in my, my memory, is um, on a big river in eastern Oregon with a good friend at the time who no longer with us. Um, looked at the GPS at the end of the day and flick and run 31 miles. We'd almost tried to catch up. We did 14 together, me and Ben. That's probably been the longest bird hunt I've been on in a, well, maybe forever. You? Eric Fundum did 12. His dog did 31. Yeah. Flat walking for pheasants. Before tracking collars, he couldn't tell. So maybe even more. Did this is a re ongoing refrain among your responses. Did a lot more when I was young. <laughs> yeah, Jim Hayes, when he was young, 23 miles, birdless. Dave Landgren, 25 miles, give or take. Granted, he was in his early 20s. Jay Knotner, 8 to 12 miles on longer hunts. Yeah, that's about the, uh, you know, the top end for us these days, too. Before Jay ruptured his Achilles, he'd hunt several covers in several other spots in a day, 15-plus miles. Uh, Robert Murphy, great story, Robert. 15 miles or more while hunting sage hen. Got lost. Luckily, a passing truck took me five miles back to his truck. He admits even when he was lost, he tried hunting his way back. Uh, this uh, that, that reminds me of Jim Bridger, the old mountain man, way back in the day. I think he might have been the first white man to see Yellowstone. I think he was one of those guys. Anyway, somebody, you know, he, he guided wagon trains, he guided armies, you know, the whole bit. The guy knew his stuff, especially in the Rockies, but he, even he had problems. Somebody asked him once if he'd ever been lost, and he said, no, but I've been mighty bewildered for three or four weeks, and uh, haven't we all? Scott Powell says Sandhills grouse hunts are long walks, 15 miles on that one. And that's up and down on those sand hills. If you haven't been there, they're, they're like, the, you know, they're like the, um, <clears throat> the dunes in the Sahara, but they have grass on them. It helps a little bit with traction, but not all that much. Uh, Travis Hampton, about 12-ish miles. It's really the vertical gain chasing chuckers that gets to him. Oh, me too, Travis. Thanks for bringing that up. Sean O'Gleason. Wow, that's a new one on me, Sean. Uh, 27 kilometers. Okay, so you're over there. Okay, I get it. 27 kilometers in wet, boggy Irish fields. 
Listen to this, everybody. Over there, Sean is chasing pheasants, woodcocks, ducks, snipe, and foxes on the same hunt. Yeah, that's where a versatile dog would sure come in handy. Uh, Kyle Broadfoot, another Sandhills long-distance walk, 15 miles there for Sharpies. And chickens. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Arizona Merns, 8.5 miles for David Della Vedova. A lot of sharp-tail hunters putting in the miles out there as well, but um, R.C. Phillips uh, did 30 miles. That might take the cake for us today. He got turned around, came off the wrong mountainside. Been there and done that. Dropped into that draw myself one time and thought, my God, somebody stole my truck. No, it was two draws over in the other direction. Thank goodness there is GPS these days. Hey, those great stories were brought to you by LandTrust.com. Now, take a look. Just take a look. LandTrust.com. Poke around on there. Exclusive private land access. No stress planning your upland hunt. Know where you're going. Know it's well managed. It allows you to focus on what you want to focus. Enjoying the time with your dog in beautiful places that are well managed. Yeah, it's a DIY option, but you book a day on a farmer or a rancher's land. A hundred bucks plus a or minus a, you know, 50 here and there for a full day exclusive access. Yeah, you'll have opportunities to shoot. It's all up to you, but it's yours for the day. Learn more at landtrust.com. I know I sure had a great time and I'm looking forward to my next visit. And HiVizSites.com, see what you've been missing. Magnetic screw attach and plain barrel sights. Hey, even I can install them. If it works for me, it'll work for you. H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. There's a reason Ruger, Smith & Wesson, Benelli, Browning, Henry Rifles, and Remington all put them on at the factory. HiVis Sites. Learn more about the assortment and the interchangeable light pipes you can get on your shotgun at HighVizSites.com. Oh, man. When I was asked to do this assignment for an upcoming story, I thought, yeah, it can't wait. It'll be published middle of next year, I think. Uh, I thought I'd share some of these notes that I'm making in the meanwhile about puppies and the stuff that I've learned over the years that might help you. Not, not, not training stuff. No, this is just the gear. In fact, it's called First Year Gear. At least that's the working title. And as you well know, the cost of the puppy is the least expensive part of the whole bird dog thing. So start saving your cans and bottles a long time before you pick up that new puppy. You're going to need you're going to need a pile of dough and you're going to need a little bit of time, but we'll talk about that next. Yeah, you, you sh of course you can. Yeah, and you have and and you'll probably write me a note on this, but uh, a lot of people have trained a hunting dog with nothing more than rope and some hope. But if you can invest in the right tools, You'll make life for both of you a whole lot better. 
You'll save time. You'll save aggravation. Your pup will be better trained faster. And that's not just me talking. Listen, I've only brought along five of my own puppies, but I've worked with dozens more at every stage in the game. I've hunted with hundreds of other dogs and debriefed tons of trainers, pro guides, and outfitters. And they all agree these are things that have helped them. These are things that will help you. Yeah, they're not all my ideas. I can't take credit, but I can take good notes. This is the integral part of every hunting dog's arsenal, boiled down for just that first year of puppy training. Yeah, like I said, you're going to invest quite a bit. Think about the return on that investment. We're talking about 10 or more years of a hunting dog's career. In fact, we're going to talk about how old dogs get in the next segment. But uh, for now, just think about amortizing all those hard costs early on and how they'll pay off every time you and your hunting partner are out there in the field getting her done. By the way, this does not count your stuff, like shotguns. You know, you know how many shotguns is enough? One more. Just remind your spouse. All right, let's take a walk through puppyhood. Watch your step right there. <laughs> yeah, and look at the gear that'll help your make help make your next young dog a consummate hunter. Well, first on the list is a crate, you know, a kennel crate. It's essential for housebreaking, but also for your and your dog's peace of mind. It's a sanctuary. That's where he goes when he's, uh, you know, not sure of himself, when he's tired, when you need to do other things like clean up after that uh, <coughs> uh, eviscerated couch cushion is scattered about the living room. It's also, of course, the safest place for a dog to ride while you're going hunting or anywhere else. I got a couple tips for you on the crate thing and, and the housebreaking thing, uh, which, okay, they fit into this because uh, you need another piece of gear. If you're not a big game hunter, you probably don't own a red or a green lens headlamp. Go buy one. Use it when you're taking the puppy out for his midnight pee. Leave all the other lights out, and it'll still be dark to that puppy. When you bring him back in, he'll fall asleep a little bit sooner. And another thing I've learned, or at least this is a theory, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. A dark-colored crate seems to reflect less of that early morning light as it filters in through the windows, so he might sleep, yeah, few minutes later, half hour later, think about it. Of course, the other thing a puppy loves to do besides uh, sanctuary eyes in his crate is to uh, chew stuff. You've got a choice there. <laughs> it can be the table leg or it can be a chew toy. Um, I like a couple different 
chew toys because Flick, for example, well, all the wire hairs, and maybe your dog too, are what they call aggressive chewers. My go-to chew toys are Go-Nut, yeah, G-O-U-G-H-N-U-T, Go-Nut, just look it up. And, of course, the Kong Ball Extreme at Kong Ball is something else. You can also stuff uh, peanut butter or dog treats inside and keep the dog a little bit more occupied that way. If you want a rawhide treat, the ones that my veterinarians use and are safe are from a company called Virbac, V-I-R-B-A-C. Again, look it up, shop it around. They're not cheap, but they're not made in China either. Here are my thoughts on plush toys. Yikes. What is a plush toy? It's something that a dog can squeeze. And many of them, it can squeeze and get a reaction in the form of a squeak. I don't know if I want to teach my dog that sort of behavior. Uh, If you think it's okay, and I've had lots of feedback on this over the years, don't be buying the dog toys at the dog toy store. Go to the nearest thrift store and buy the sanitized, cleaned, used plush toys. Around our house, a plush toy would last about 15 minutes, and then we'd be down to stuffing and the desiccated hulk, which we ended up using anyway. I, I, would, I would just conduct a, a, a surgery on the plush toys, pull out all the stuffing, pull out the squeaker. We don't want any choking hazard. And then give it back to Flick when he was a pup. Let him tear the, shred, tear the thing to shreds and then go from there. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here doing a solo turn talking about all the puppy gear that I think might pay off for you. It's paid off for me. Feel free to pass this along to anybody who's got one now. Puppy, that is. All right. Sorry, but I'm going to editorialize. Fence your yard if it isn't already. If you're going to keep your dog, don't let your dog run free. In many places, and even in cities now, the coyotes are running rampant, and your dog could be their next meal. Or you might be talking to the neighbor about an oops litter. If you don't keep your dog in your own yard, (laughs) buy or build a kennel run. Heck, you can get a kennel Uh, One of those assemble-yourself kennels at places like Home Depot for a few hundred bucks. And if you're going to keep your dog outside, what? If he's not a house dog, well, then make him comfortable with an insulated dog house and a roof over the kennel. Okay, enough about that. The next thing on your shopping list, if you haven't got it already, is uh, a series of books or videos. They'll prevent some of your goofs, keep you on track with a real training plan. You can't just wing it. Find a method and stick with it. Now, you know my feelings about that. The Smith Cousins, they've got a great one. George Hickox does too. If you're a retriever or flusher guy, uh, there's lots of choices in this world. Shop them around. Ask for advice from your friends. But stick to a plan. 
Because as uh, the Cheshire Cat said in Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Okay, you're going to use these mainly in your hunting situations, but even when you're training or conditioning your dog, you're going to need water. And I like to train all my dogs to use uh, uh, one or the other of the various types of containers that will allow you to squirt water into your dog's mouth. You know, in the old days, it was just a wineskin, Boda bag, which is redundant. Boda means bag. But anyway, you could carry that thing. It was full when it was full. When it was uh, getting empty, it didn't slosh around because you could squeeze all the air out. A platypus, camelback, all those kinds of water containers that you can squeeze water out in a stream. He can drink out of it. You can drink out of it. It works so well. I just, I just, I don't own anything else. All right, let's get down to training gear. Training gear for your puppy, first year, a collar and a leash lightweight applied with a light hand a lot of folks will put a collar on a dog right there in the whelping box eventually they'll put a little string or a short rope so the pup gets used to a collar the pup gets used to pulling around some sort of a leash when it's time to start using those in a training situation he's good to go Flat collar, keep the pinch collar, the spike collar, the slip lead, all the choke chain, all those things for later. First year, remember. And when you're leash training, cinch it up behind his ears so that when you use it to direct him, it will actually point his head in the direction you want him to go. Kind of like a horse. Here's a hard one tip. Buy one time, buy a handful of those metal name tags with your phone numbers on them. And then as they fall, get lost, etc., you'll have more handy. You don't want to go without them. And I had this discussion just Sunday when we were hunting. A lot of people would offer a reward on those metal tags. Well, the problem with that is it encourages the bad guys to hold your dog hostage. I know it's a little bit, well, I don't know what to call it, but in the best interest of the dog, I will put on my dog's metal collars, needs daily medication. The good-hearted folks will do their best to get your dog back to you. The bad guys, that's all they need is a dog that won't perform without costing them money. I know, I know. I'm a big believer in Delmar Smith's Wonder Lead as well. So uh, when it's time, and this is for a slightly older dog, but still in the first year, think about a Wonder Lead and then learn how to use it right. Uh, part and parcel with a leash and a collar is the tie-out stake. It is the best way to teach a dog to yield to the collar. He's fighting the collar and the tie-out stake instead of you. Stay on good terms with him. 
a check cord. It can be anything from a store-bought to an old water ski rope. And you may as well, because you're not going to be water skiing anymore, you just bought a bird dog. As that young dog grows and ranges out, you still want some sort of physical control for quite a while, whether you're teaching patterning, limiting the range of your flusher, or enforcing uh, commands like here. It also is the first step in a half hitch to reinforce steadiness. So get yourself or make yourself a check cord. Now, some people go so far as to make a 40, 50 yard check cord. That's a bit much. But whichever length you decide on, make it out of a material that, number one, is lightweight and stiff enough that it won't wrap tightly around brush or clumps of grass when the dog makes a big turn or a circle. And I'm not joking, water ski rope is one of those materials. All right, we're, we're getting warmed up here. Uh, on the Upland Nation podcast. I'll cover a couple more things and we'll jump into a, uh, a break. But first off, let's talk about electronics. At some point, towards the end of your first year together, it'll be time to think about an electronic collar. You may as well bite the bullet, or the shot shell, <laughs> and uh, get yourself a GPS and training collar. What do they call them now? Track and train. Lots of good ones out there. Part of it is going to be a budget issue. Part of it is going to be a brand affiliation. But believe me, once your pup grows legs and learns how to run, and you're working on stuff in the field, not a fenced yard, your level of confidence and security for your dog will go up exponentially if you can usually track him down because he's wearing a GPS collar. And if you're concerned about weight or things like that, there are smaller versions now, lighter versions. Don't even think about stimulation for most of your pup's first year. But the vibration and the tone components can become extensions of your voice. You may as well train for them along with all the other commands you're training for. Well, the smartest move I ever made was making friends with Bodo Winterhelt, one of the founders of NAVDA and a, a pioneer in the versatile hunting world. Got to share an airplane and a puppy with him once. That was probably a highlight of my versatile hunting dog career, and that was back before I knew what I was doing. But Bodo was one of the first guys to come up with this thing that most of us now call a training table or a woe table. He did it out of self-defense. He had back problems. But um, the training table will make your life easier, both physically and from a training standpoint. You put a pup on a high spot, if you will. <clears throat> he's a little bit less confident, a little bit uncomfortable, and he's always looking for assurances from you when he's up there isn't that a great mindset for training yeah it is it's also a great place to do your doctoring teaching commands like whoa or hup or whatever start them off up there every time my dog even to this day flick is six years old even to this day he knows if he's ordered up onto the training table we're going to do a little bit of work I think that's a pretty good idea. <sighs> Speaking of training, 
you know, when I was a musician, the joke was you can be the greatest player in the universe when you're sitting there in the practice room, but at some point you got to walk out onto the stage. Well, for us in the bird dog world, one of the stages is those hunt tests and field trials that many of us participate in. I'm not telling you you need to live your life to win those trials or or to score high on a hunt test, but I'm telling you that if you have those as one of your training goals, you and your dog are going to train a little bit harder, a little bit smarter. Find a nearby chapter of a training and testing club and get involved. Even if you don't take any of the tests, you're pitching in there and you're going to get the same kind of karma from your fellow members. They're going to help you train. They're going to offer advice and sympathy. Maybe they have training grounds or a bird supply, access to specialized gear. And when you start buying your gear, some of them will be happy to unload their used gear on you. Join a group. You walk into my training shed and uh, the biggest pile in there is retrieving bumpers and dummies. You know, it's it's one of those, It's it, you know the zucchini joke, don't leave your car doors unlocked. Well, in our world, it's bumpers and dummies. I have a vast array and piles and piles of various specialized versions. Uh, soft ones, hard ones. Wooden ones, plastic ones, canvas ones. There's a use for each of them. If you're a retriever trainer, you know the whole idea of training to the pile. But even a versatile dog or a pointing dog guy needs a few high-quality retrieving dummies. I also have some sacrificial versions. You can get the cheap plastic ones now so that when we're starting water training, if everybody fails including yours truly uh i don't feel so bad about leaving it there <laughs> it'll blow back to the bank eventually and that's happened before <laughs> and while you're accruing that massive inventory of retrieving bumpers start asking around and keeping the tails the wings and long feathers of dead birds in fact you might as well start saving up and freezing some of the dead birds that uh, you can bring home from a training day, for example. We'll talk more about birds in general in the second half of the podcast. But for now, tails, wings, and feathers will have a number of uses when you're introducing gunfire, some of those early retrieves. Just keep your eyes peeled. Okay, we talked about collars. We haven't talked about training per se, but uh, we talked about the collar being an extension of your voice with that vibration or that tone command. Well, the most universal version of that would be your whistle. Yeah, save your voice for karaoke tonight. Let your whistle do the hard work. It'll reach out farther it's a higher pitch than most of our voices, unless you're a soprano. So your dog will hear it better. 
and put it on a lanyard so it's close by and you use it uh, frequently. Don't forget to overlay your whistle commands on your voice commands. And both of you will, um, will be communicating at greater distance. Yeah, I got a whole bunch more of those. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about your tribute to your dogs. So stick around right here for the rest of the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. We're brought to you in part by ProPlansport.com. Learn more about all their formulations and why they compose those formulations the way they do. For Flick, the omega-3 fatty acid and glucosamine helps support joint health and mobility. The guy comes off, well, he did 13 miles Sunday. He was raring to go the next morning. I attribute that in great part to his nutrition. What's your dog need? Well, it needs energy, needs protein, it needs fat, all in the right proportions. Find a formulation that works for you at ProPlansport.com. That's Purina, ProPlansport.com. And find anything you need for your hunting, shooting, and the outdoors at MidwayUSA.com. Just ordered a whole bunch more chucker ammo. I've got a couple big trips coming up, and I went through my inventory, and, you know, it seems like you're always missing something, and for me it was 28-gauge, both non-toxic and lead shot. They've got ammo. They've got everything else you might need as well. Sign up for their emails or texts and get 10% off your next order. And now is a good time. Cyber Week starts Monday, November 20th. Eight days of awesome deals. So check in at MidwayUSA.com. Get 10% off that next order and get ready for the big Cyber Week sale. All right, I do want to get to your um, tribute to your dogs, so I'm going to run through a few more first-year puppy gear suggestions for you. In the world of steadiness, <clears throat> of course, it's true. Birds make a bird dog, so do your best to get hold of some. If you're serious about your sport, which is not a sport, it's an addiction. No 12-step program yet, but it is that. If you're serious, figure out a way to keep birds at your own place. Simplest, pigeons. I love pigeons. Even wrote a magazine story about that once. First off, they're less expensive or you can get them free if you trap them. Good ones will come back after you use them. You can reuse them. Even if you use them in ways that require them to be retrieved without being shot, and we do a lot of that, they're tough enough to, that they'll live t- to tell about it in the loft, and you can use them again a few days later. So build yourself a small pigeon coop, buy some pigeons, and start your own flock, or find a steady, reliable source of pigeons. Where you'll find those is anybody's guess. A lot of times, if they're, you're in a bigger town, there will be a pigeon racing club, and they've always got calls that they're glad to help you with. Sometimes a government trapper is looking for places to put them. You just never know. So ask around. Again, another good reason to join a 
training and testing club right there. At some point, uh, you're going to be without birds, but you're going to be at the point where you want to train your young dog on bird-like behaviors. I got an idea. Look to the toy box. Yeah, when you're just starting out, what you want your dog to do is hold still when things fly away. How about these things instead of a live bird? Paper airplane. Paper plate thrown like a frisbee. Well, hey, a frisbee. I used to buy those balsa wood toy airplanes with, you know, with the wind-up, the rubber band wind-up propellers. All those were great. They worked so well. Eventually, you want the feathered variety. But back to the toy box. You want to start introducing gunfire? That's a whole other podcast. But for now, let me suggest that, uh, you know, maybe a couple cap guns are the right way to start. Then, of course, you're going to get a decent blank pistol and eventually blank loads for your shotguns. I like blanks rather than shooting in the air with real thing or anything like that for a bunch of reasons. The neighbors don't get near as worked up, etc., etc. Safety first and all of that. So consider all of those things that are um, less likely dog training gear and more likely stuff from the toy department or your kid's room. And I know the debate goes on, and it always will, regarding wild birds versus pen-raised birds. But if you can get pen-raised birds, you can simulate the behavior of wild birds with a remote-controlled bird launcher. Cha-ching, I know. Yeah, the remote control is the insurance policy. Well, anything else you use to restrain a planted bird is going to reward the pup if he crashes in and catches that bird. And, and then you're back. You know, you talk about two steps forward and one step back. This is one step forward and six steps back. So you want to ensure that your young dog does not learn that if he crashes in, he can catch a bird. Now, how do you do that? Well, with your steady, ready hand on your remote, You can launch a bird before the pup pounces on it when he's not quite there yet on the pointing thing. Yeah, once he's steadier, and maybe that's when you sell your used bird launcher to your next victim, (laughs) you can use uh, the rope pull launcher, a bird harness, tip-ups, or even an upside-down milk crate. It doesn't matter. But whatever you use... Invest in, invest in a roll of that brightly colored surveyor's tape. There's nothing more embarrassing than not being able to find your bird. And a young dog may or may not come downwind of it in the right direction and then show you where it is. But that's one other reason to mark your birds with surveyor's tape. Not your birds. I put it on a nearby piece of brush. That way I can you know, work my dog into the scent cone and know in advance where that is. And I like to sweeten the scent cone on young dogs who don't have a lot of experience on birds. Some people might call it cheating, but I'm calling it immediate gratification and positive reinforcement. I'll put a little bottled bird scent 
around the bird launcher, for example, so that that strong, stinky scent cone helps your youngsters point farther from that constrained bird, which is, you know, probably not emanating as much scent because it's it's boxed up in one way or another. Yeah, you get a dog pointing 10, 15 yards from a bird, that's a good thing. And, of course, once the bird flies and you're at that certain point in training or you're hunting, you want that bird to come down so your dog can actually do what they're supposed to do, pick it up and bring it back. That is what they live for. So buy a shoot card and go to the range. Become a better shooter yourself. Yeah, you don't need to shoot all the targets. I go to the Sporting Clays range and I shoot only the targets that resemble the birds I shoot. I don't shoot the springing teal or the bounding rabbit. Skeet, same way. Even some trap clubs will let you get closer to the house depending on who else is shooting and what else you're trying to accomplish there. So practice makes perfect. I know, I know. A good puppy can cost thousands of dollars. But you can also get a good one from a cardboard box at the grocery store. No matter how you find him, the gear that you use to train him will cost you even more. But as I said, we're talking about a 10-year investment in your best hunting buddy. And that leads to adventures in beautiful places with family and friends and the magic of a dog doing what he was born to do dazzling you and living his best life what's that worth i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast we've got uh, a tribute to your own dogs coming up so uh stick around for that in just a moment first a word from pointershotguns.com yeah that's where you shop all the varieties every configuration side by side over and under semi-automatic all the colors the case coloring nickel bluing cerakote green bronze and gray youth guns 28 gauges they've got it all at pointershotguns.com Calm. Oh boy, I can't wait to, to share all this with you and thank you for sharing all this with me. I found a picture of my old guy Buddy back in the day. We were actually up in Minnesota at the Rough Grouse Society's, uh, wh- what do they call that thing? Their Grand National, whatever their big hunt is. It's a beautiful picture and, and I posted it on Facebook. He's looking down a, a mode strip at... Uh, at just the right age uh, aspen stand. Now, we were just conditioning that day. It was before the hunt actually started, but it's such a pretty picture. I thought, you know, what a great dog. What a, He taught us all. Everybody in the house, he taught us something. And I bet, I, th- I said to myself, I bet you have pictures like that, and you have memories like that as well. So I asked you to share me. Give me a shout-out to your favorite hunting dog. I know it's hard to decide which one is which, but deep down, we all have one. So you shared these with me, and it was incredible. Here's Sadie Mae. She's a black lab, 10 years and still going. That was a pigeon hunt. Interesting. Thanks a lot, Ken Matye, 
for that. That's that's fascinating. And then Clay Follett shares a picture of the Pointer Sisters doing what they do best. Yeah, two short hairs. He's in front of them. It looks it's a beautiful shot. There's some yellow flowers in the in the foreground, and then the uh, one dog uh, pointing, the other dog backing. Most intense back I've seen in a long time. Beautiful dogs. I wonder if they're out of that pheasant bonanza stock because they both have dark heads and light bodies. Beautiful dog. Tim Hoofer says, uh, even when they're just out for a walk, Isabel is looking for something to hunt. Great companion as well as a hunter, absolutely. Winston is 11 years old. The Brittany is bringing back a, a rooster for Ken Baxter there in the snow. Beautiful dog. Walter's almost three years old, but it's his first bird season for stagecoach pointers. So far, so good, they say. His best friend is named Bo. That's Simmons Farms Gun Dogs. Beautiful short hair. Looks like you're at a trial or a test. Uh, maybe something like that. Good on you. Uh, my sympathies to Jessica Johnson Lyal. Uh, sorry for your loss, but you got 16 great years out of Drake. And it looks like he does it all. You've got ducks in that picture. And then I think in the other picture you shared, there was an upland bird. New baby is Myrtle Violet for North Lawn Service. Good dog. Finally figuring things out. Beautiful setter. Black and white with ticking on the, on the forearms. Ten years for Jay Lawners and his great dog. Uh, looks like a very darkly colored short hair. Staunch European style point in a field of grass. You know, I, I, I should explain that because I, I, I wrote a story for for somebody a couple years ago and I used the term 12 o'clock tail in there. And the editor of the magazine wrote me a note and said, what's a 12 o'clock tail? Okay, well, that we know what that is. That's when the tail is straight up. You know, you field trialers, you setter and your pointer guys. You, you live for that stuff. But back in the day, it was a continental point or a European point straight back. Uh, I guess I'd call it a 9 o'clock tail. Either way, it's beautiful. George Gomez, always great stuff from you. Thank you. They are all good. You just summed it up for us, and isn't that the truth? But you pick your current two, Lucy and Wilson. Beautiful pointers. One solid liver, the other one, an interesting brown, big spots, uh, almost a Brittany brown there, which is cool because you don't see that very often. 13 years old. Kimberly Garrett's dog still doing it in the woods there, poised to pounce. It's always hard, Ben Waters. You've had six. The smallest one is Dixie. Yeah, like the youngest child, maybe. Skipper, Karen Chupa Brueggemann, beautiful dog, cool picture. Looks like an old-timey truck hood. And maybe the body in the background. So many great pictures. Here's a great picture from Jessica Cobb. Nikki is a French Brittany. My first hunting dog. Oh, man. Welcome to the club, Jessica. Good job. Beautiful dog. Les LeBlanc's. Lex LeBlanc. 
taking a little break in a field in Kansas. Yeah. Boy, that looks like a relaxing place to take a little break. Chris Capitillo shows his wife posing this year on the opener of the pheasant season with their nine-year-old VDD and two-and-a-half-year-old Pierre de Guero de Burgos. I'm going to say that's a Portuguese breed. I probably mispronounced it by a long shot. Pierre de Guero de Burgos. Burgos? Burgos? Uh, my accent sucks. But Junebug doesn't suck for Richards Rogers uh, again. Brown-headed pointer with a white body and one dot on top. <laughs> Rashawn Gordon, good to hear from you. Your dog, Addie, right there with your wife, Melissa. First chucker, Addie lived to 17. Great story. Some of these I can't even read. They're all good. They're all beautiful photos. Thank you so much. I'll end with this one just because, man, oh, man, you don't see a lot of, a lot of um, uh, golden retrievers in the field. And here's Slash, Hannah, and Dagny. Looks like Slash and Hannah are both golden retrievers waiting for direction by Mark Eisenberg in the snow. Probably real comfortable for them right there. Beautiful shot. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, everybody. You know, that question on social media got more responses than anything I've done in the last five years, I bet. Still not up there with uh, with with the duct tape dog boot question, but <laughs> nothing ever will be. Thank you so much. I'll ask more of those kind of questions so you can share more of your dog photos. It's all right here on the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Quick word from a sponsor, then a road trip suggestion. Yeah, if you're just looking for something a little different or a leg up, I've got it for you coming up after this from truelockchokes.com. They've got a choke tube for just about any shooting activity. And I'll tell you, they're coming up with some great ideas. I talked about those dove chokes a while back. I don't see why they wouldn't help you in a uh, quail situation if you're using uh, less expensive quail loads, for example. I shot my 28 at the range a couple weeks ago, swapped out the chokes, uh, got them dialed in. Yeah, and there is a difference, whether it's pattern density, accuracy, uh, all the things that matter to you in the field or on the range. Trulock Chokes has a choice of, you can choose from 2,000 different choke tubes. Look it up by the brand of your gun or any other criterion you use to determine your choke tube preference. Always a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee. You don't like how it's working, send it back. Call them with questions. And if anything goes sideways, they'll replace it. It's all at truelockchokes.com. Well, let's take a road trip to Nebraska, one of my favorite sharp-tail destinations. But I'm not going to talk about Sharpies today. I'm going to talk about Bob White's. Nebraska has a fascinating program that you might want to take advantage of. It's called the, 
the high, they, they, they will reward farmers for cutting their wheat and milo a little bit higher. In other words, taller stubble. And then they put an access guide together right at the end of harvest season. So you got to wait. Now's a good time to get it. This stubble access guide will put you into tall wheat and milo stubble fields that will probably hold more birds than just normal stubble or maybe the surrounding habitat. So if you're looking for a change of scenery, consider that. You can get it on their website. And if you've ever hunted tall stubble, you know it can be a lot of fun. And our road trip is brought to you this week by sageandbreaker.com, gun cleaning and care. Lots going on there. Don't miss out on future sales and new products. Got a lot of them coming up. Get on the mailing list and you'll be the first to hear about the new rod and brush cleaning system in the scoped rifle case. If you're like me and you're doing your darndest to get down to southern Arizona this season, stop by the retail shop in Sonoida sageandbreaker.com is where you get on the list and if you clean your gun well the first thing you want to do is get it dirty again by taking a shooting lesson at Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School if you're passing through western Oregon or you live in the area I gotta tell you this season my shooting is 40 to 60 percent better depending on how far I'm falling while I pull the trigger Thanks to the lessons I took at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, learn more about what they have to offer. And remember, they're all hunters. So they know what works in the field as well as how to get you to do it on the range. Midvalleyclays.com. Learn more about their schedule. Go there. Practice all you want on any of, their, uh, any of their shooting games. And take a lesson with Dave, Vandy, or the crew. Midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks for letting me pull on your coat a bit about puppies' first-year gear. Maybe there was something in there you hadn't thought about. Maybe you got some other ideas for us, too, so share them with me on social or drop me an email. You know how to do that. And if you will, please, once you do that, please tell one person about the podcast. Sure appreciate that. That's how the Upland Nation grows. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Purina, Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, and LandTrust.com. Of course, a lot of this stuff ends up at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. So if you want more details on any of these topics, that's where I would start. I'm refreshing that page, well, that whole website on a weekly basis. Until then, I hope to see you in the field, or at least the range. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast.